This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. Hi, I'm Dr. Susan Buttress, host of Southern Remedies Relatively Speaking, a show that explores issues that relate to you and your family, from mental health obstacles and family interactions to handling life disruptions. Whatever it is, we're here to help. Find out what we're all about and subscribe to the podcast by using any podcast app or by downloading our MPB Public Media app. This is Southern Remedy on MPB Think Radio. Dr. Jimmy Stewart with you this morning. And we are here for you today. That's right. This is the program that you can call in with any kind of healthcare question that you might have a question about. And we'll try to give you the answers or point you at least in the right direction. Or if you're not able to call, we always encourage you to send those questions by email. We'd love to hear from you. That email address is remedy at mpbonline.org. Hope everybody's having a great Wednesday. Just uh, talking to our producer, Kevin Farrell. Crazy weather, as usual, in the state in uh, January, where it feels like spring one moment and uh, quite frigid in uh, about six hours later. So you never know what to do. Never know what to wear. I'm either overdressed or underdressed. Uh, I guess layers are the way to go, right? Uh, but I do hope that you're uh, having a great time. I know if you're, uh, um, you know, if you're liking the uh, to get out in the outdoors when that weather's good, got some great windows for some activity outside. I'd encourage you to do that as part of your healthcare regimen for yourself. Combined with a healthy diet, that's a great way to uh, avoid some of the long-term complications of chronic disease and also keep your body healthy. We're going to go to our first caller today, Walker in Carroll County. Good morning, Walker. Good morning, Dr. Stewart. Um, I'm a big believer. Well, first of all, I'm 76 years old, and I'm a big believer in vaccines. I started on the Moderna and had all the necessary boosters. I guess I'm waiting for the next variety of it. But I understand that the shingles... um, vaccine is now available from pharmacies for people on Medicare at no cost. And I was wondering if, one, you know that's true, and two, if there's a particular um, vaccine, I mean, if there are a variety of vaccines, if there's a particular brand that I should be looking for. Yeah, that's a great question, and that is a vaccination that's actually very effective. Um, You know, shingles is caused by the varicella virus, and basically particularly those who were born before 1980, um, including myself, you probably had chickenpox, you know, and that... I did, yes. And when your body clears that, the virus can hang out in the dorsal nerve root ganglion. That's like part of the nerves in your back. And basically, if your immune system wanes its immunity, wanes in its uh, uh, immunologic response to the varicella virus, then you can get that rash that's also accompanied by a lot of pain. And that pain is the thing that can really be debilitating, and it can last for months, sometimes permanently in a very small number of cases. So the the shingles vaccine is a way to boost your body's immunity that it already has to that if you've been, you know, if you've if you've been exposed to that, particularly in those age ranges, to say, hey, you know, this is remember this, this is varicella and you need to increase your antibody levels and your memory cells uh, to um, to recognize this if it pops back out. And it's extremely effective for those over the age of 50, which that's that's the group that it's recommended in 50 and over. Uh, is the group that's more likely to get shingles. It's a it's about ninety five percent effective. 
Um, now, if you have other things wrong with your immune system, you might need to get it before the age of 50. Um, and there's a two dose. The, the one that's out there now that you mentioned is covered by Medicare Part D, as in dog, is Shingrix. And that is a uh, recombinant vaccine. So basically, that's one that's not a live vaccine. We did have Zostavax, which was a live vaccine. Shingrix works much, much better, much fewer side effects, and it's the cleaner version of that. So basically, you get one dose, you wait one to two months later, you get the second dose. You can go right to your pharmacy if you have Medicare or another insurance carrier. Most of the other insurance carriers will... Um, we'll cover that starting at age 50. Check with them first, but definitely Medicare. You can go down to your pharmacy. You don't even have to have a physician's order for it and say, hey, I'd like to get my shingles vaccine. They can give it to you right there and then come back in a month or two to get that second dose. Well, I only have Medicare A and B and no other supplemental insurance. So I'm guessing from what you said that it's not covered under that. Check, check with them. It might be, even if you don't, uh, but check check if uh you know they, they just call your pharmacist and they can put all that information in and see if you if you would qualify for it right i understood it, it changed this year but i'll check right. with the pumps on that thank you very yeah. much okay thanks for calling hey dr jimmy I had a quick follow-up so once you get through the initial two shot uh sequence are you good to go for a while or yeah so the so basically in the um, with this particular vaccine, you know every vaccine is a little bit different. I think people have some misunderstandings and they say, well, why do we have one vaccine for you know did you get just once for one thing and now we have like multiple ones for others that's because of the way that the body's immunity is different with different things, whether that's a bacteria or a virus, and it also has to do with the studies on healthy people and what happens to their immunity over time. So we know that as you get older, that you've got antibodies if you've been exposed to chickenpox or you received the chickenpox vaccine as a kid after 1980, which was about the time that we started doing that. Um, that builds up a, an effective immunity, but that goes down as you get older, and it goes down if you get sick, if you're under a lot of stress. There's lots of different things that can affect the body's immune system. Uh, but even in a perfect world, you can still get shingles. And uh, just talk to somebody who's had shingles. It's terrible. But that two-dose is effective enough to prevent, again, about 90 to 95% effectiveness of even getting shingles. That's really good. And, you know, it hadn't been out that long. I mean, it's in in terms of decades or so, but we know it, uh, right about seven to 10 years is probably what it's good for right now. That's pretty good if you think about it and from a vaccine standpoint. But yeah, it would just be that two dose series. And after that, you really don't have to worry about it. Great question, as always, from our producer, Kevin Farrell. This is Southern Remedy. Dr. Jimmy with you this morning, answering your questions via phone or uh, email. We've got a couple of callers trying to call in and just drop. So uh, if you got dropped, call us right back. we got an open board there, but uh, lots of time to answer your questions about maybe it's new uh, medication that you're taking. Maybe it's a vaccine question. Maybe it is about a couple of symptoms that you're having, and we will try to get you those answers that you are trying to get. 
Uh, email is the way to get in touch with us. Uh, that email address is remedy at mpbonline.org. And, you know, a lot of a lot of other controversy uh, that pops up from time to time that really I just view as a misunderstanding. You know, I have lots of misunderstandings like I, I don't know everything about everything. I don't know anybody that does that. I am not a nuclear physicist. I would love to be because I'd like to be that person to come up with fusion and solve all of our world's, uh, you know, energy crisis. However, I like to know about it. And sometimes I have some misconceptions about what's the correct temperature for nuclear fusion. Like, what would you do? How do you contain that? What's the magnetic field that's involved in that? And I might think I'm an expert on it, but I'm really, I haven't had the training or the experience to do that. So a lot of times people have these misconceptions about the body's immune system and that you can, if you build up the body's immune system with what you eat and exercise and healthy living and maybe some, you know, herbal stuff that you don't have to worry about all those other things. Well, you know, the body's immune, some of that is correct. So certainly I'm a big proponent of what you eat and exercise uh, are two of the biggest things to help prepare your body to do what it's designed to do. But there are some things that are extremely deadly and extremely contagious. And if you've never seen it before, measles is a good example of this, and you're not vaccinated against it, you're going to get measles. I mean, that is about a 99.5% chance if you're in a room with somebody with measles and that's happening, that's that's going to be a problem. So, um, you know, that that's the reason why vaccination has been so... Uh, vital to decreasing a lot of the deaths that we saw in the last, uh, you know, 150 years before we had vaccinations. Um, it's incredible the lives that it saved and and the morbidity. Morbidity is like you don't die, but you have a lot of bad side effects from it. So that's a lot of things. You know, we had a lot of deafness, a lot of brain damage from a lot of our menin- uh, the bacteria that cause meningitis. So there's there's a lot of things that we vaccinate against that are very helpful. And even though you don't see it in the population right now, measles is a good example of this. There's a lot of worldwide travel where people are still being exposed to this. It's pretty easy to, uh, you know, to pick that back up if you're exposed to it. So that's some of the reasons there. We've got four people patiently holding online. We're going to get to you as soon as we can. Thank you for uh uh, your patience this morning with us. So let's go to Harry in Cleveland first. Good morning, Harry. That's Waveland, not Cleveland. Oh, Waveland. We got to yeah. We got to give you a shout out to where you are. Okay. Hey, I had a follow up question on your uh, shingles vaccination discussion. Sure. The uh, I had I'm I'm 58 years old, and I had shingles 20 some odd years ago uh, on the right side of my face. Oh. Uh, and and as you. Oh, uh, well, it usually only hits one nerve trunk, one side of your of your body, and right. one nerve trunk. But all that said, it got into my eyes, mm. and it, it, uh, it's it been a constant. I've had the doctor, uh, my doctor has told me that I have, and I can't pronounce it correctly, I don't think, but neuralgia or whatever. Mm-hmm. It's the, con- the continuation of shingles, and I've had a mild pain sort of a burning bacon grease pain for my, basically my, everything I can remember. Uh, but all of that aside, is the vaccine helpful for people who've already had shingles? 
Yeah, that's a great question. And yes, it is, Harry. So it, if you think about it, you know, some people say, well, I've already had it. How is this going to prevent it? Prevents it from recurring, number one, because just because you had it once doesn't mean you're not going to have it again. And it can be in all kinds of different places. Harry, you just described one of the more serious places to have it, which is on the face, particularly if it's on the nerves that that do, uh, you know, innervate around the eye, you can lose your vision from that. And the pain, it, you just think about that. I think you you just uh, described that as sort of a, you know, hot uh, uh, baking, like you've got grease on the grill and it splatters up on your skin. That's exactly what I've heard, you know, patients describe. And, um, you know, it can be really debilitating. But, yeah, you would be a perfect person. If you've already had it, you've, your body has proven that its immunity waned at least once um, to, you know, to the varicella virus. And this can help, you know, sort of help your body say, okay, we need to make more antibodies to this when we're exposed to it. So hopefully that would do that. I don't know that it would improve the pain that you're having because that's really from the damage that's already been done to the nerve by the virus coming back out and that acute infection. But, um, you know, it certainly would would help to prevent a further episode. Yeah, okay. I appreciate your comments. Thanks, sir. All right, Harry. Thank you for calling. Let's go to Deborah from Brandon. Good morning, Deborah. Good morning. Thank you for calling. What's your question this morning? Thank you for taking it. Uh, I had the shingle shot, I'd say, about 10 years ago when my daughter got a horrible case of shingles and she said mom there's a shingle shot out you need to go get it and i did uh so um now i'm wondering uh since there is a new uh vaccine out um can i take the new vaccine since i took it a long time ago yeah, yeah, you can. Uh, you probably had uh, the previous one was called Zostavax. Um, and again, it was a live uh, vaccine. Uh, you know, basically, it was sort of uh, uh, they they injure the, the virus in such a way that it can't cause an acute infection. But um, yeah, the, and the reason for getting this one would be that it offers you a little bit better protection than that previous one was. So you should be fine to get that and not really any contraindication from, particularly if it's 10 years out, um, then that's uh-huh. that's probably a good idea to go ahead and get the newer one. Okay. Thank you so very much. Yes, ma'am. Thank you for calling. And we're going to go to Walter in Macon. Good morning, Walter. Good morning. My question is, um, how long afterwards, if you've had pneumonia, should I get the pneumonia shot? Yeah, that's a good question. That comes up a lot, too, in clinics. So pneumonia, you know, it's caused by different things. So we're talking about an infection in the lower part of your lungs or your whole, the entire entirety of your lungs. And it can be caused by a viral infection. It can be caused by bacterial infections. The pneumonia vaccine, or at least that's, you know, in the local vernacular, sort of patient vernacular, that's what the, what it's called. That is a combination of some of the most common types of pneumococcus, which is a type of bacteria that, uh, that causes pneumonia. And um, if you've already had that, and there's several that have been out there over the years, there was a... Uh, we call them valent, and that's just the valent, uh, the V-A-L-E-N-T. That just refers to how many types that it's protective of, or at least that's what we're trying to to get the body to recognize. And one of them was 13, so there was 13 different types. 
One of them was 20, 25. Uh, the latest one is 20. Um, and it's basically, that's, that's pretty good at the ones that are out there right now causing the most common one. If you're 65 and over, it's recommended to just get that once. Um, Mm -hmm. but if you've, if you've already had that or you've had a series, then that's, you know, it's, it's not, if you've had the, the most latest one, then you don't need to get it right now. And I haven't had the vaccine. Um, the only thing that I've had is pneumonia. Um, they said it's a community acquired pneumonia. Uh Um, so I don't know, maybe it did not go away the the first time that I had it and it, it reoccurred. And so... Uh, I'm taking a series of antibiotics to rid myself of it, but I want to go ahead and take the um, the uh, vaccine as soon as I possibly can. Yeah, I'm trying to see how long it's. I should wait before I take it after going through this regimen of antibiotics. I, I would wait about two to four weeks, or until your symptoms sort of resolve back to your baseline after this infection that you're having right now. And that's okay. just because you want your immune system to be at its best when it's when it's presented with this vaccine so that it can do everything it needs to do. If it's occupied with other things like the pneumonia you have right now, even though it's being treated by, um, you know, antibiotics, your immune system is still fighting it off with that. So I'd probably yeah. wait about two to four weeks before I got that. But I definitely would. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm thinking that my immune system is, is low because of the chemo that I was taking. Um but I'm finished with that. Hopefully I can rebuild my immune system, but I wanted to know how long should I wait before, you know, I go ahead and take the the, uh, pneumonia vaccine. I've taken the flu vaccine, and I've taken all of the uh, COVID vaccines except for the last booster, so I'm just waiting for my doctor to release that, and I'll and get that done. Yeah, I think I think about two to four weeks should be fine with the pneumonia vaccine. And you mentioned those others too. Certainly, you know, if you're at risk, you just outlined one of the risk factors. If you're, you know, receiving chemotherapy for something, um, certainly a lot of times, if you can time it this way, getting those before chemotherapy, if you can, can help sort of stimulate your immune system before it's hit pretty hard with that chemotherapy uh, but if not, you know, then some, sometimes you just have to just go with what you got. But, yeah, if you're finished with the chemotherapy now, certainly that's that's probably a good timing to get it in a couple of weeks. The other thing is okay. if you are getting – for all the rest of the people listening out there, if you are getting chemotherapy, th- there may be a reason why you don't need to get it while you're getting the chemotherapy. So you need to check mm-hmm. with your physician certainly about those kinds of issues. Okay. Thank you so much. Yes, sir. Thank you for calling. Let's go to George from Greenville. Good morning, George. Yeah, I have I have a, a couple of questions. Um, I have taken the uh, pneumonia shot. I took the first pneumonia shot I took was in 2014. Uh, my doctor offered it to me. I never had I never heard about the pneumonia shot. I had been taking the flu shot for over 20 years, mm-hmm. and um, thank God that I never got the flu after I started taking the flu shot. But in 2014, he uh, introduced the pneumonia shot to me and told me I need to take that as I was aging. Uh, and um, he said I didn't have to take it no more until five years. So I just took I took another one la- just last year, mm-hmm. uh, pneumonia shot. I'm wondering, do they last for five years? Uh, uh, it, should I take it uh, sooner than five years about the pneumonia shot? So the, the previous 
one, and, and there's different layers of risk here. So if you're like just a regular population, which this sounds like that, where you were at that time, that basically was when we had two separate ones out at the same time. So we had a 13 valent and a 25 valent. And it was recommended that you get both of those and then repeat after five years the 25 valent. We've followed that out and looked at what the patterns of pneumo- of, of uh, pneumococcal disease is as it relates to pneumonia. And by the way, it's not just for pneumonia. It actually can cause other infections in the body. But um, now with this PCV20, they're recommending that we vaccinate somebody, particularly if that they're, they're at that five-year mark. Because again, as you get older, uh, particularly for something like pneumococcal disease, your body's immunity sort of goes down. We don't know how long this, this PCV20 is going to last, but it's pretty good when compared to the ones we did have. So for right now, at least, it's just recommended for the general population when you reach age 65, you just get it once. Um, now, if you're younger than that and you have other problems, like if you have asthma, COPD, if you have a weakened immune response, then you might need to get it earlier than that. But if you're greater than or equal to 65, uh, it, you know you should just be getting it uh, once. Well, I'm I'm 72, 71 years old. I just turned 71, January mm-hmm. 1. And like I said, I just took the... Uh, pneumonia shot last year and i was just wondering how how soon should i take another one uh just turning 71 years old if it was that pcv20 if that was the name of it then you shouldn't have to take one right another one at this point okay the next question i have is and i'm sorry i'm asking these questions no that's fine essentially uh i took the two moderna shots uh for covid19 but i heard something on the news and i didn't get all the intelligence on it uh, where the, the the booster shots is causing blood clots in people over 50 years old, and some people are having uh, a, a heart attacks, some having strokes. And I'm wondering how much intelligence to that, because I've been talking to several people about this, and, and, and they have confirmed it, but I don't know how much intelligence uh, uh, about it. And I want to know from you as a doctor, is this, is this true about these booster shots is causing uh, blood clots and heart attacks in people over 50 years old. Yeah. It didn't say everybody, but it did say it's causing it. Yeah. So there is a little bit of a risk that they saw, particularly in some of the earlier boosters with, uh, with the development of blood clots, mainly in the veins, in the legs. And this wasn't, when they looked at it, basically when you have something like that that pops up and they, every time you have like a new vaccine, this is what they do. They, uh, they uh, monitor for anything, even if it's not related. If something pops up at the same time, they have to investigate that. So on, on analyzing that and looking at the people who weren't vaccinated, who are at the same age, same risk factors, same medical conditions, there really wasn't any increased risk of blood clots from the vaccinations. Um, same thing with heart attacks. There is a statistically significant, which means a small risk that you do have something called myocarditis, which is an inflammation in the heart muscle, particularly in the age ranges of in your, from your 20s to 30s. So it's usually young men who got either the primary vaccine or a booster. That all is self-limiting, meaning it goes away with time. It tends not to be that uh, clinically relevant. And again, it is much lower 
than the myocarditis that was seen in COVID uh, infection. So it's, it was a known thing with that. But in the older ages, actually, the vaccines turned out to be pretty good. I think what we're seeing is, and this is the same thing in my patients that are vaccinated and not vaccinated, blood clots are common as we get older. Heart attacks are common as we get older. Just because you had a vaccine and then two weeks later have a heart attack doesn't necessarily mean that's what caused it. And particularly if you look at other risk factors like high blood pressure, uh, high cholesterol, diabetes, if those are already there, that puts you at a higher risk for having those conditions. So I've looked at it. I continue to look at it. It's not like I've sort of put it to bed and not worried about it anymore. I still look at that, all that data as it comes out periodically to make sure that it, you know, for my patients, it's going to be the safest thing to do. And for right now, it seems like it's still really good, particularly, uh, I was just actually just looking at some of this a, a few days ago, um, for those people who had were vaccinated and they got COVID infection at any point, they seem to have a stronger immune response not just to like the original COVID virus variants, but to any out there. So I'm not recommending you go get COVID if you haven't gotten it right now. But for those people in particular, you know, because some people say, well, I got COVID. I don't need to get vaccinated. It seems like the, the, what, from the data that we have, getting vaccinated, particularly if you've had COVID in the past, that does protect you at a higher rate than if you never had COVID. So, or if you had COVID and you didn't get vaccinated. So Hope that clears up some of those things. But yeah, I don't, I haven't seen anything legitimately. Now, everybody always likes to say, I've known three people that had heart attacks and they got vaccinated. Well, those are three people. And, you know, it, again, you have to investigate all this and look at all the numbers. And that's the power of, uh, you know, when you start to see, was this related to it or not? And if you look at the general population, it's not any higher. I really appreciate it. One other question. Sure. If you never had if you never had chicken pops, can you get shingles if you never had chicken pops? The first time you are exposed to the varicella virus, even if it's from somebody who has shingles, so that's a good question. You know, can you if you've never had chicken pox, um, or at least you don't know that you've had it, could you get shingles? The answer is yes. Um, if somebody who has shingles, it again, it's the same virus. If you touch that and you've never had chicken pox. That can cause you to get, you know, ching, uh, uh, chicken box. But it's also pretty common that even people who never broke out, who never had anything, you may have been exposed and just didn't know it. There is a very small percentage of people who were exposed to chicken pox and they never broke out in it. You know, we used to have those chicken pox parties, right? Like we'd have right. a kid, you know, as a kid, I can remember this. I grew up in the 70s and, you know, parents would say, hey, so-and-so's got chicken pox. Go play with them. Because, you know, if particularly if you were at a younger age, because chicken pox was very contagious. If you're in a room with somebody that had chicken pox, you're going to get it. It's sort of, you know, we've had some patients that showed up in clinic, and for whatever reason, you know, they've had chicken pox. Very rare. But everybody's exposed when that happens, and it's always a concern that we have, particularly those individuals less than a year of age, because we don't vaccinate against it now less than a year of age. You know, those are the, those babies are definitely the ones that you want to keep away from somebody who has shingles or chicken box. Well, Doctor, I really appreciate you. You're doing a great job. Uh, may God continue to bless you. 
uh, and you answered all the questions uh, uh, intelligently, so I appreciate you. I want you to have a great day. Thank you, George. We do appreciate it, and we certainly appreciate you calling in. Let's go to Ruth from Yazoo County. Good morning, Ruth. Good morning. Uh, While I've been waiting, I've decided my question might be stupid. (laughs) No, there are no (laughs) stupid questions on on the Southern Remedy. Go ahead. Okay, well, I was uh, looking at these tragic, tragic uh, pictures in New York Times of uh, all these elderly people in China dying from covid uh, Anyway, 60,000, I think. And it, uh, the text of the New York Times, and when I first read it, I thought it was saying, sounded a little bit like uh, the, the strict lockdown um, left people uh, with a lack of immunity. And that doesn't sound right. So I'm re- rereading it right now. It says, China's current wave of infections has been fueled by a lack of immunity in the population, most of which was not exposed to the coronavirus for years because of the country's strict controls. And I interpret that probably incorrectly, that if I've never had COVID, am I uh, less immune, although I'm fully vaccinated, but... Yeah, I'd say you, you you've got some protection there, even if you've never had it. I, to my knowledge, I've never gotten COVID, like wild COVID. I've been vaccinated, and I've certainly been around people. Now, I've got I've had you know taken the measures that we do in clinic and in the hospital, masked up, uh, you know, glove gown, and, and you know when I needed to with somebody who was positive. But I've been in and out of the rooms with hundreds of people who've had COVID by this point. So, um, you know, I think you're still protected there. I think it's a little bit misleading uh, saying that, you know, just because you have everybody on lockdown, you're not going to protect them, that there would be some some kind of payment later on in, in a way. However, I think a lot of that population in China, I mean, if you think about what, 1.9 billion people in China or, or close to it, maybe a little bit less than that. Now India is about to surpass if they haven't already. But anyway, a lot of people. I don't think a, a lot of those people in a lot of those areas have been vaccinated and certainly not vaccinated to the point where they would have an adequate immunity. That would be a huge vaccination campaign. And even if China's saying that, I'm a little skeptical just because of the numbers. But I don't know. I mean, I'm ignorant of that, so I don't know. I don't have any special information or anything. But, yeah, I think that one thing that we've seen is that RSV – with respiratory syncytial virus, something that we don't have a vaccination for, but causes infections, particularly in younger infants and young children. And if they have things like asthma, it can affect them a little bit uh, worse, and usually it affects the lungs. We've seen this past year, as we went away from a lot of our you know isolation and quarantine and lockdown procedures, to protect us against COVID, we've seen that RSV has sort of risen up. And you could predict those kinds of things, but I can't quite make that fit with COVID, um, with what they're saying. I I think probably there are some people in that situation, in that population, that are more at risk, or they're pretty much at the same risk as the first people who were exposed to COVID, basically. Now, in your case, vaccinated um, you know, you look at our total population, which has a mix of vaccination and COVID infection now. So we have this sort of baseline immunity in the population. 
I don't think that's something that China has. So um, I'm not going to debate public policy and all that, and certainly not in another country because it's so different. I mean, it is so different. We like to think that, you know, everybody lives like we do. If you've ever been to another country, you understand there are variables there and all kinds of things that it's just not that way, and you just can't approach it that way. Um, it's sort of arrogant to think that we can sometimes impose our thinking on the rest of the world without taking into consideration the way that they're currently living and the things and values that are important to them. But, um, yeah, I think that's a little bit misleading, and certainly you can't apply that to us. I don't think you can apply that to the U.S. population because it's totally different. The living conditions are different. What we're exposed to is different. Um, Lots of differences there. Well, I, I'm asking, I was asking because I'm kind of unusual. I'm I'm sort of like a hermit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't like to be sick, uh, and so I, and I live alone, so um, I'm not exposed to much. But the popular belief is that, oh, you need, you know, you shouldn't protect your children for everything. They, t- you know, they need to get exposure, but uh, I don't think that applies to COVID. I can't express yeah, you know, it certainly doesn't apply to things. If you look at every infectious disease, if we just take infectious diseases, um, I would never knowingly expose a child to measles or to, uh, you know, certainly not viruses that are known to have a higher risk to them. Um, and, I, you know, we mentioned like the chickenpox parties that used to happen. I would, mm-hmm. you know, that's... It's a little extreme, and honestly, I, when I had chickenpox as a child, I was in the hospital. I had pneumonia at the same time as a result of chickenpox. So I was sort of the you know non-typical child who got had a bad outcome from that, from that. Not that my mom, my mom didn't take me to a party or anything like that, but I think you have to strike a balance with that. Um, you know, we do know there are certainly you now. I would I th- I don't. I would never advocate as a physician that you in, intentionally catch something or expose yourself to something somebody else has. Uh-huh. I think we have much better ways to do that through vaccination that reduces the harm of having the actual disease. That's the whole reason for doing vaccinations. Now, plenty of story, uh, uh, plenty of uh, literature and, and studies that looked at, um, you know, for instance, the Amish who uh, they're in, their lives revolve around a very agrarian lifestyle. They're in the barns with animals, and they're exposed to dirt and all kinds of things. They have a lower risk of asthma. And there is some evidence to suggest from population studies like that 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 kind of exposure, which is totally different than actually exposing somebody from getting something, you know, from having a disease, but that exposure to those other things, maybe there's some bacteria, maybe there's some soil bacteria that they're getting in, in contact with, that may be protective for totally different things. But um, you're, not, you're not doing your body any kind of favors by exposing yourself to things that have lots of bad side effects. Well, very interesting and helpful. <laughs> Well, thank you, Ruth. And, uh, hey, while you're there, uh, hold up, so to speak. Uh, make sure you have plenty of social contact. That's I, that's the thing that I really, you know, I, I want to uh, – anybody who – you certainly have to weigh the risk for yourself and feel comfortable with that. But also look for ways that you can socialize, even if it's over the phone, social media, that kind of thing. 
Um, and, and, you know, to get outside too, if you're, even if you're not around other people, that can be very, uh, healthy for you. Yes. I, I do use to Facebook and the telephone, but other than that, everybody I know is a Trumper and I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> well, you can go outside and like, and, and talk to the birds and let them talk to you and everything yeah. else is out there. How about that? Yeah, that sounds good. <laughs> All right, All Marie. Right. And by the way, I was going to say, this is not the first time the New York Times has been misleading or wrong. <laughs> well, you know, uh, liter- news can sometimes turn into literature and be very, uh, very uh, illustrative and uh, lots of, of different ways of, of – uh, you definitely have to do your do your work on, on background work and say, well, I don't know if that's exactly the truth. So Exactly. Well, thank you, Doctor. All right, Ruth. Thank you for calling. Lots of great questions and callers uh, today. We do appreciate that. We're going to try to squeeze in the last ones that we have here. We're going to go to Donna first. Good morning, Donna from Pocahontas, Tennessee. Yes, good morning. I have a couple of questions that uh, sort of piggyback on one of your previous callers' questions. Um, But when I was 18 months old or younger, I was told that I had the measles so bad, it was the red measles, that I was in the hospital and I almost died from it. They said I would never have any other kind of measles. And to be honest with you, I'm 72 and I haven't, and I've been around it a lot. But the other part is that I never had chicken pox. And um, it was hypothesized that perhaps because of that um, uh, natural immunity from the, uh, from the measles, event that maybe I would never have uh, chicken pox. So when I was pregnant with my first child, I told them that I'd not had chicken pox. And they said, oh, you must have, you must have. And they did a test and they said, no, you're right. You've never had chicken pox, so you need to avoid it at all costs, especially while you're pregnant. But I have three children and I always had to rub calamine lotion on them. I've uh, taught in public schools. I've been around a lot of kids with it. I've never had chicken pox. So now that the shingles vaccine has come to the fore, I have a son, one of my middle child. He gets shingles so badly. I don't know if it's safe for me to be in the same room with him when he has that, or is it by contact only, or now that I'm older and I have heart disease and diabetes, uh, does this weaken my immune system? These are it's kind of a multifaceted question. What information can you give me? Yeah. So um, yeah, down the immunity that you get from having measles and chickenpox, two separate things. So that probably wasn't protective. You're just one of those few people that never really got it for whatever reason. Um, people who have shingles, it, it's only through direct contact. So even if in they're in the same room and it's covered. You're not at any increased risk there. It's not going to hurt you to take that shingles vaccine, uh, and it will protect you against getting chicken pox um, if you're exposed. So it's not such a bad idea, particularly if you have those other risk factors of heart disease and, and uh, you know, diabetes. But, um, I, yeah, that's that would be what I would say is that you probably – that's it's going to do nothing than protect you. And it, you don't have to have chicken pox first before you get that uh, because it's again it's just it's protection against that or at least using your body's immune system for protection against that virus so it'd be okay to get the shingles vaccine right right because everybody said no don't do that and 
Yeah, so you can get it. Yeah, it, it, whether you ha- whether you haven't had chicken pox or if you've had shingles, either way, it doesn't matter. You know about getting it. You de- you need to get it so that it can protect you. It's not going to give okay. you. It's not going to give you chicken pox. Just the opposite. Okay, it could pr- help protect against that. Okay, so now the next question is: someone who has shingles, if they have used a cloth or touched their their affected skin, and I touch that cloth. Can I still get it? It's a possibility, yeah. Yeah. So anything, you know, close contact with the lesions themselves or if they've washed themselves with a washcloth, that kind of thing, Band-Aids that have been on it, if you're in contact with that, then it's possible that you would get it from that. Okay, great. All right, well, thank you so much for taking my questions. All right, thank you for calling. We're going to go to Jamie from Madison. Good morning, Jamie. Good morning. Thank you very much, uh, I realize that time is short, but, you know, you were talking about COVID earlier, and my question to you is why was only remdesivir, the the medication that needed to be used to treat the COVID? Why not ivermectin? Why not uh, hydroxychloroquine? Why not a ZPAC? Why not these proven things that have uh, vitamin D3? Why, Why were these things absolutely forbidden and if you actually talked on facebook or anything about that you were kicked off of the platform yeah i I don't understand if you're trying to help people if the medical profession is trying to help people why were those things excluded please explain that sure so what you were reading is anecdotal evidence in other words people saying hey i took this i got better i haven't had it i was cured when they looked at all of those things that you listed, hydroxychloroquine, Zithromax, um, ivermectin, they were not shown to be effective, and they had harm associated with them. So things that aren't effective or that might harm people as a medical profession, we look at those. There were studies that were done. It wasn't that they were ignored, but those kinds of things uh, were not effective, and remdesivir was effective, Paxlovid has been effective. Uh, there's been a pooled serum in some, uh, some instances has been affected. So we do have effective treatment that's been studied for its efficacy, how well it works, and uh, its safety. So that's, you know, you can read everything you want out there, but uh, Facebook... Um, you know, even some news channels, those aren't scientific studies well done to make sure that those two important things are there. And ethically, as a physician, I took an oath to not intentionally harm my patients. And that also includes giving them something that I know has has some harm and is not effective. That's why you won't hear me say for, uh, you know, for like a lot of homeopathic medications, like, hey, the evidence isn't there. If it's not harmful, you can give it. In these cases, those things were harmful and they didn't have any kind of efficacy related to them. So that may not be the answer you want, but that's that's the truth of it. And that's why the medical profession said that. That's about all the time we have. Hey, my apologies to the two people we had waiting patiently on the line. Hey, if you can email us, they can send those emails to remedy at mpbonline.org. This has been Southern Remedy. Dr. Jimmy with you this morning. Thanks for everybody who called and who gave us their questions. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand.